0: Um, yes, today we're covering two chapters of Genesis, which usually we wouldn't do that. Uh, but I think, Lord willing, we'll find that, that uh, there'll be a lot that we learn in here. But today is Noah and the flood. And maybe you've never heard of Noah and the flood. I remember I, I spoke at a thing in downtown Oklahoma City once, and I was preaching on Joshua and I was trying to communicate, like, everybody's heard of Moses, but maybe you haven't heard of Joshua, who was his, you know, who God appointed to lead after Moses. And I remember when I said, and everybody's heard of Moses, I remember, like, two people looked at each other, it was like, never heard the name, you know? Um, and so um, there's a chance that, that you have heard of Noah in the flood. Um, if you haven't, you will today. It's okay. Okay. Um, but when you did, maybe, maybe when you were a kid, you heard about Noah and the flood, and you could have had a whole bunch of different responses. One could have been terrified that so many people died, and that's real. Um, you could have had the response that, of like, your eyes getting like saucers and being like, there was like an entire zoo inside, you know, and you could have gone like the thinking of the animals and what that must have been like and all those things. And, uh, or maybe it was just one of a whole bunch of stories that you heard about as a kid that just kind of come and, and went. And when they went, you didn't think much about them afterwards. Um, what my hope and prayer is if you're here and you're a young kid in here this morning, If you're in here and no one would describe you as a young kid or remotely think of you to describe you that way, um, for each of us in the room this morning, like no one excluded, for each of us in the room this morning, what we are aiming at, like where we are going this morning, what we're aiming at is through Scripture that God would give us a fresh experience of what he wants us to know through these events and through these moments to see maybe what we've never seen before, to maybe feel what we've never felt before connected to God and connected to his word, Um, that maybe he would, by focusing us on this portion of scripture, Maybe he would focus our hearts in a fresh way, focus our minds in a fresh way, focus our lives, focus our church. So let's just dive in, pick up in verse 11 of chapter 7. We're going to move through this uh, passage um, we typically go just purely verse by verse. We're going to go kind of like a section, and then another section, and another section. So we'll pick up in verse 11 of chapter 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life. And once again, we're, I've kind of mentioned this every time. But remember, we are very, Adam and Eve are not too far removed. And remember, they were designed to live forever. And so people might say, oh, I'm going to not believe any of this because I'm too scientific. Well, I'd actually encourage you to lean in scientifically and realize that the design of us was to walk with God forever and not die. So sin has entered the world. Death will happen because of sin, but it doesn't mean we're instantly like living to be 95, So that will happen. There will be a time where God makes it very clear, we're not going to do these long lives anymore. Um, That will happen on the other side. Um, But here, Noah is still in that area where people lived a really long time. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. And the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, like, picture that moment. You know, we've been a part of, like, heavy rains where you get, like, like eight inches of rain and one storm, you know, and then it's over. For 40 days and 40 nights, it's that level of rain. Verse 13, on the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. Verse 15, they went into the ark with Noah to and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So what God said he was going to do, what Noah had been holding on to for decades, realize that, like, we're not just like, like reading the book of Genesis, like, oh man, this all happened in a week. For decades, Noah had been preparing for what God promised he was going to do. Noah had been trusting what God says he's going to do. And what God promised that he'd do, he did. It might sound super simple, like, this is all you got? (laughs) It is revolutionary, I think, in our lives to realize what God promised that he would do He did it. He promised destruction, and he promised that humanity will be rescued through one vessel. Humanity would be rescued through one vessel. And don't miss the details of verse 16. All those entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. So this is his plan, his orchestration. God is orchestrating their rescue Noah had been instructed to make the ark out of wood and then to cover it inside and out. We read this other places. The ark was supposed to be covered inside and out with pitch, uh, with tar. And archaeologists have even found as they dug through that like this was a common practice in the ancient world. Is that like you can go to museums and see the tar that was outside of wood uh, because it's, it's uh, kept Um, And so archaeologists have proven that this was used in the ancient world in connection to making things watertight. But the door, even if they constructed the door with like a rope or something to be closed from the outside, that, that that Noah could cover the outside with tar, but he can't shut the door and then cover the outside with tar. And so... So don't miss the very end of verse 16. It says, and then the Lord shut him in. Shut them in. And we have already seen in Genesis multiple times that God actually walks among Adam and Eve, comes in a way that you would interact with a person, and he walks with Adam and Eve. He talks with Cain trying to talk Cain out of murdering his brother. He speaks with Cain. And it's very likely here that we know that the Father, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we have one God who exists as three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we, we know that no one has ever seen the Father and lived to tell about it. The Spirit does not seem to take any bodily form. The second person of the Trinity, the Son, in our experience, is the, the member of the Trinity that interacts with people in a way that we would interact with each other. So it is incredibly likely that Jesus himself, before the incarnation, is actually putting tar on the outside of the ark to make the entire thing watertight, so water's not coming in through the doors. And I just love that Um, The Lord is one. Now, yes, he could like just kind of magically make it happen and shut them in. But I, I love however he did it, that he personally makes the final touches, preparing the vessel that will save humanity. Now, verse 16, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark. It rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Verse 22, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. And this is not a regional event. Um, And I I think I even mentioned last week we would dive deep into archaeology. And I just felt like this wasn't the place this morning to dive into that. But it is a a personal passion that I have. Um, And it is stunning how civilizations all over the planet have a, a part of their record of their history is a flood, like a, a worldwide flood. And even there are documents that they've found like in the Middle East that are Assyrian documents that date to like 250 BC that are telling a history and in that history are even speaking of an ark that is saving humanity. And so it's fascinating. There's Native American. There's some really fascinating uh, historical aspects of that um, that just kind of testify to this worldwide event. The flood was so long that no one could survive. It was so devastating, so widespread, so complete that it even says even 15 cubits. And remember, a cubit is from the tip of your finger to your elbow. So 15 of those above the highest mountains is how much the water, um, how, how flooded, it it is truly total devastation, unsurvivable. And we know God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. So to those that are resisting God, know that his promises come to pass. Like, You know, you could think like, oh, only people who follow God, like, will experience his promises. Like, even if you think that, even if you were to think that, that those who are resisting God also fully see him do what he said he's going to do. These people knew God's ways. They knew of God's promises. They rejected God's ways and God's promises, and they still experience God's promises. And they're on the wrong side of God's promises. They're experiencing what God has promised. They're like, oh gosh, He said this was gonna happen. Oh man, this is all playing out exactly as He told me it's gonna play out. And I am on the wrong side of this thing. He fulfills His promises. When He fulfills His promises, let's not be on the destruction side of His promises. Like, like, this is real. Like, this is the, you know, it's kind of like on Thanksgiving when you're at, like, hey, I used to sit at the kids' table, and I think I'd like to sit at the adults' table. And then sometimes you get at the adults' table, you're like, wow, they talk about serious things here. <laughs> like, maybe I'd like to go back to the kids' table, you know? Um, but there's a reality that Noah experienced. There, there's a reality that we all experience if we're honest that, um, man, this, this, this is a serious moment. It's a serious moment for Noah. It's a serious moment for every human being. No one is too busy to think about God's promises at this moment. No one's like, well, I got you know, things to do. I can't really think about God right now. In this moment, everyone is really focused on the promises of God and that the promises are happening right now and no one can get around it. Chapter eight, verse one. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the, win- the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it took months for even the tops of the mountains to be visible. And Noah is swept up in these deadly, serious events. I I just pictured Noah being inside the ark and even maybe like feeling the wood walls of the ark. He is in the vessel of his deliverance, a vessel that is designed to deliver him. And Noah must have felt a safety inside the ark but an awareness of what's happening outside the ark recognizing in that moment God is very real I don't think Noah was having any doubts in his mind is God real? he's like wow this is happening God is very real he told me decades ago it was going to happen like this and it is happening like this what God is doing is very real And God was very, he was really saving him. There was no question, like, can I trust him? He's like, man, I'm in here. We've been in here for months. God is really saving me, and he's really saving my family. He's responding in faith, and his faith is becoming sight. They experience his promises coming to pass. And this was important for Noah. I mean, at no time would you ever be like, "Noah, tell me what's important in your life." He's like, "Well, you know, I've got this thing in the garage, you know, or whatever." Like none of that stuff. He's like, "This. Like, I am in the vessel of my deliverance. I am being saved. God's promises are coming about. I am mourning for my friends who are outside of of this place, and I am still inside, following the promises of God." So it's important for Noah, obviously, and it's also incredibly important for the people who are reading this for the first time. Remember, Moses is the author of this, and he is writing it to a people who have been slaves for so long that they never even have any relative who ever remembers not being a slave. And remember what has just happened in their life. God has rescued them through water, through the Red Sea, He has delivered them. They have felt God's deliverance, God's redemption, and there was a heck of a lot that they were still looking forward to. They're like, well, God's saved us and rescued us, and we're in the middle of a desert. (laughs) And we don't even know how we're going to eat or drink. And we've got maybe 24 hours to figure it out. So God, you have delivered us, and we need you to save us. You have been fulfilling your promises and we look to you to continue fulfilling your promises. Uh, the common denominator here is we're looking to you, following your ways, trusting him, had trusted him and continue to trust him for greater future promises. And those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, who have put our faith in Jesus, it's the same way. Scripture speaks in a way that we Putting our faith in Jesus as our savior, he has saved us, past tense. The surety of it, it is so sure that he speaks of it as it's already happened. You have already been delivered. You have been saved. That is a past thing, and I will deliver you in the future. I will save you in the future. We've experienced so many of the promises and there are many more that we look forward to experiencing. To those trusting in him, know his promises are coming to pass and we will experience that. Like that's just moved me this week is in the way that Noah is like, I've been waiting for this and it is happening. My deliverance is now. Now and to see it, and feel it, and smell it, and hear it, and just to say, God is delivering me. Noah Noah felt that, and one day we will experience that same feeling, and we have felt his deliverance when we have put our trust in Jesus, and I pray maybe some will feel that for the first time today, and we hope and look forward to and, and can't wait for a complete deliverance. God led them out of the ark. Look at Noah's first actions out of the ark, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So God delivered them, but they still need him. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Verse 22, while the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. I love that the first thing Noah does is he worships God. That's his first response after his deliverance. And his worship is a pleasing aroma to our Lord. And a new promise is made. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That hasn't changed. But what has changed is he will no longer ever destroy the earth in this way. The destruction will never happen in this way. And then we have many promises made to us and they can continue to be made to us. And what happened to Noah, which is fascinating, is what happened to Noah and the ark and the people of Noah's day gets woven into the New Testament. Jesus speaks about it. He's like, hey, let me take you back to Noah and the people of his day so I can communicate things to you in your day. Peter writes of it. Hey, like Noah, here's things that we need to really be stepping into in our day. So let's step into just two of those as we wrap up our time this morning. So 2 Peter 3 is one of these places. Let's start at verse 5. And this speaks of people who don't respond in faith to God's promises. People who don't respond in faith to God's promises. Verse 5 says, For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then exists, exists was deluged with water and perished. Which is what we've been looking at. Verse 7 but by the same word, there are new promises. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not over, overlook this one fact beloved. I love that he adds the word beloved there. Like, you are truly loved. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Verse nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Like Peter has the flood fresh in his mind as he is writing this. And there were people that surely were like, hey, those promises are never gonna happen. God, if he even exists, forgot about those a long like he has had thousands of years to fulfill his promises, and you're still hoping and believing and holding on to them. Woe is you! And it's like, no, Peter's like, one day is like a thousand years. And he's only waiting because he's waiting for you. He's being patient for you to repent because you are truly loved. And destruction is coming. And what his heart is, is that all should reach repentance. Because the father is like, I have given them my best. There's nothing better I could give them. I gave them my beloved son. I have given them my best that they can be completely redeemed and rescued by my vessel of choosing, that in Christ we would be saved. Peter wants us to remember the flood, how this all happened, and not to be people who perish in that day. And the way to not be part of the people who are perishing is to repent today. Like to be like, man, whenever that day is, I hope that I'm on the right side. And I'll wait till that day to figure it out. It's like, man, you are way too loved for that. He cares about you way too much. And he's saying, man, I want today to be the day where you figure that out and to live in him. Repent of being the Lord of your life. Let him be the Lord of your life. Way more qualified he is. Repent of ignoring, minimizing, not responding to Jesus's words and respond today. Jesus himself in Matthew 24 speaks even deeper into this, using Noah and the flood as a wake up for all of us to not wait for a more opportune time to go all in with Jesus. Look at Matthew 24, 36 says, but concerning that day and hour, when when are you going to come back, Jesus? Because I can prepare for it and basically live however I want, and then I'll get right with you right before that day. You know, like and he said, hey, Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. There were weddings planned for that day. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. We will all experience the promises of God. Promises of redemption through faith in Jesus or promises of destruction through rejecting Jesus, rejecting God's rescue for your soul, rejecting your vessel of salvation that he's prepared for you, your family. Faith in Jesus today means we experience immediate promises and that we experience many more to come. The way to have the coming of the Son of Man, the way to have that be the greatest day of our lives, the day of our redemption, instead of it being the worst day of our lives, the day of our destruction is today. It's either turning and saying, I, no, I don't want any of that. I don't want what he has for me. I reject his gifts towards me. I'm gonna set my own course. Or, man, I, I receive your invitation. <laughs> and what the thing is, is just coming to him, communing with him, and that is how we, in many ways, we preach a similar sermon every week because I feel like he is always giving us the same invitation in the same direction. And if you came in and you're like, man, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. I, 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 or maybe it's like, I know where I'm at with Jesus and I don't want anything to do with him. I, I would just see you even being in this room is proof that he that you he would say, "My beloved, like I love you, everything that Jesus did for you, like is real, and is a real invitation to you to respond because uh, because of His love towards you, and that this is very in the same way that Noah did not question how real the promises of God were." And everybody else didn't question the reality of the promises of God. What my heart is, is that God would show us, man, this is, there's no question in my mind here. Um, So if if you have not come to Jesus, I would, man, deeply encourage you to at least, to really consider his promises towards you, his invitation towards you. His desire for you to come home running. And um, man, I've, I've realized this and thought this at times too, is when I married Patty, in no way did I know everything about her. You know, I wasn't like, hey, let's hold off for 10 years on this marriage because I need to know everything about you it's like, I knew enough that it was like, yes, I definitely want to marry you. Like, can we do it tomorrow? You know, can we get married? And we've got some funny stories of me wanting to get married right away and get married at the same time Kevin and Mary were, because they'd already planned it. We were like, hey, we could just join your ceremony and we can get this thing done real fast. You guys already planned it, you know? And uh, so, <laughs> so, thankfully, uh, I cooled down a little bit. All true stories. Um, but it was in marrying her that I got to know her so much better and so much deeper and fuller. And I think in many ways, that's an invitation for the Lord too, is it's not, he doesn't ever want us to not use our, our minds, you know, to be like, hey, just check out your brain at the door. It's like, no, what I know about him, what I feel about him, there's so much more I want to know and feel, but I've seen enough that I'm coming to him so that I can know and see and feel so much more. Um... And man, so if that means coming to him for the first time today, I would just deeply encourage you to do that. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you along those ways. If you came in and said, hey, I know him, I walk with him, I follow him. uh, Man, my, my prayer for all of us is that we would commune with him in a way that our faith would increase, our hope would increase the promises of God that we are already sitting in would just saturate us give us joy and peace, the things that we look forward to, that we may have to be patient for a long time, that God would use this to give us that patient anticipation and the heart that looks forward to what is to come and the surety of those things. And and the, the place to go to is to his feet, to commune with him, To let him meet with us. And Jesus gave us communion for these purposes, to commune with him. Um, He he said, take this bread and eat it as as often as you do, as a taste, a smell, a nutritional reminder that um, it's not always going to be forever until we're we're with with each other. Um, he, He said, you guys do this. And he said, I'm going to refrain from doing this and I will do it with you for the first time. So Jesus will take communion. He took it with his disciples. He's going to take it again when the church, everyone who gives their life to Jesus for all time are all together at the wedding feast of the Lamb uh, will take communion again. Uh, Wine, juice, obey your conscience there. Representing his blood given for us. And so, the way that we, we like to do communion here is just to spend some moments opening yourself up to him, let, letting uh, Jesus meet with you, communing with him, repenting of any sin that needs to be repented of. And then to come boldly to the table. And we'll come down the center aisle. My brothers will serve you. Um, just hold your hands out, they'll give you the, the bread. Um, and then we'll go back to our seats, remain standing, and I'll lead us through taking it together as family. And uh, if you don't know where you're at with Jesus, I would encourage you to use this time to, to just look to him, maybe just plainly talk to him, and if all this is real, maybe just ask him to make that clear to you, and then I would encourage you to respond. So let's all respond to him.